0: We're on to our fourth origin story this time of Kubernetes. Don't worry you don't need to have used it to appreciate it. This is a office politics story and it's told by none other than Steve Yaghi who loves telling uh, stories maybe with a little bit of hyperbole but obviously the grain of the truth. Maybe it's time to tell that story or retell that story because you know it's kind of important. So like Joe Beta and Craig McLucky um, Burn and and Brennan Burns, right? The, the the trio that invented Kubernetes. Uh, and I know this because me and Matt Moore got a demo of it, and like back in the very early days when they just had a little bitty mini version of it working, it was really cute and um they had just taken some of those sort of their favorite ideas from Borg, right, like namespaces and uh just this and that, you know just a little mini Borg. And they and they didn't have a name for it at the time, right? Uh, <clears throat> they had they they had to go through an extensive legal search, and all of the names that they wanted, all the all the good names were were taken. Kubernetes was like not nowhere near the top twenty on their list of names, but you know, uh, it was available and it stuck. And now nobody cares, because honestly, a name is just a name, and so people always agonize over names. But if a thing is good, then the name almost doesn't matter, right? So Kubernetes comes out and it's basically a, it's a way of doing computing using, well, you know, containers, right? And of course, that's a, that's a better way to utilize your machines because most processes don't need a whole machine. Right, so uh, it's a great way to have lots of little flyweight, you know, microservices. And well, sort of App Engine was supposed to be that, but App Engine was, you know, had so many guardrails and and so much scaffolding and stuff to, you know, it was such a heavyweight framework to get into. Where you know, whereas containers, you know, you just you just run Docker build, you make a Docker file, and there there you have it. Your whole thing is packaged up and ready to go. App Engine was a lot more work, and there were a lot of restrictions, and there were a lot of weird bugs. And App Engine was, it was a noble effort. Bravo to the App Engine team, right? They were ahead of their time in a way. But App Engine's not cutting it for what people need for microservices today. And Compute Engine wasn't cutting it either because it was just like, it was just like Amazon's, what is it, EC2? It's just VMs. And a lot of companies are very successful with VMs. Grab was primarily a VM shop, right? They would just run VMs. And I use VMs for my game and, you know, VMs are fine, but there's a lot of promise in Kubernetes. Promise that you can get better packing of your processes onto the machines as you scale up. It could be a huge cost savings is the promise. So they invented it and cloud shut them down. I mean, Google Cloud was like, no, you can't launch this. Like the product managers had absolute control it was a mafia craig mcclucky was one of the pms and he had to fight this battle and app engine and compute engine both said we don't need a third way to do computing on google cloud were they right you you, you tell me i mean seriously step back for a moment and think to yourself when they said we don't need a third way to do this app engine and compute engine is enough in hindsight not at the time, not, not at the time. Of course, you, you make decisions based on the information you have. But now that we have more information, were they right? I mean, like, look, there's no right or wrong answer to most, most questions like this. But I think that uh, most people would agree that, that they were wrong, okay? That they, they were mistaken, that they were actually hurting Google by holding innovation back. Because they felt threatened by the territory creep, they felt that they were their territory, their customers, right, whatever the traffic was going to get taken over by this exciting new thing, and they felt like their careers were threatened. That that folks, that's local optimization, right? That's you know that's that's politics at its worst. Okay. You know, po- politics fundamentally, I mean, have you ever stopped to think about defining politics for yourself? What does it actually mean when you say an organization is political? What does it mean? Right. And you're usually thinking of alliances and betrayals and backstabbing and all that. But what politics really is, is a discussion of how to allocate resources. That's literally all it is. And, and then to a smaller extent, you know, what to make, what to make illegal. Right. But that's, that's, that's less of a contributor. Really politics is about resource allocation. Okay. People fight over Where does the money go? Right. Is the money going to go to App Engine or is it going to go to Compute Engine or is it going to go to Kubernetes? Right. Go to containers. And they didn't like the answer to that. And so they fought it. And so Craig and Brendan Burns and Joe Beta escalated all the way up to Ours. They marched into his office and they're like, Ours, dude, we got to talk because your org, one of your many orgs, is holding us back. And it's funny that it even had to go all the way to Ours. It's, it's a sign of how weak the leadership was because Ours wasn't running cloud. There was already somebody in charge of cloud at the time. And there were multiple VPs and senior VPs, you know, all Ours was the, was the tech guy. And he ostensibly had, you know, oversight over all of it. But it should have gone up the chain of command, not all the way to Ours. But it didn't because the leadership is weak because they're fighting each other. So it finally got it finally got to a strong leader, right? Urs is a strong leader. It got to Urs and he said yes. He said yes to Kubernetes and, and allowed them to do it. And the rest is history, as they say. So this is a problem. Google has a few strong leaders here and there, and then a bunch of really weak ones who are just looking out for themselves and covering their own butts or fighting, fighting to get all the resources directed on themselves. They're locally optimizing, okay? And that causes a problem because, hey, look, I mean, like, you know, all the the engineers can see this. They know, and the product managers, everybody knows, right? They know that this is happening. They know that things are kind of wonky, right? They know about the redistricting and the congressional lines, right? You know, they know that they know about the gerrymandering that's happening in the project space. And they're unable to do anything about it because who are they going to go to? They're going to go to one of their leaders and say, what do we do about this? And the leaders at Google act a lot like the United Nations. Like, there are some strong nations and there are some weak nations. There are nations that are inwardly focused. There are nations that are outwardly focused, eyeing the stuff that other people have, right? You know, hello, Russia, right? Nations that want to go take other people's resources. And the same thing happens in Google. It's so big and so distributed. Think how big Google is. It has Maps, which is a giant org, and it has YouTube, Oh Yeah, YouTube. And it has Android and Chrome, right? And it has, uh, you know, ads and search and it has Gmail. And, I mean, you know, lots and lots and lots of important orgs. And and they, you know, they act like nations. They're like nation states, right? They can decide to use whatever technology they want. If, if the org decides they're going to do it, then then they do it. And so they're like the United Nations right? Because they all kind of like keep an eye on each other, but they don't really help each other. And it's distributed leadership. And there's, there's no, like, there's no one voice at the top Sundar's not a voice at the top. He's he's practically invisible. He just runs the company like kind of in, in very, very quietly. He was chosen because he didn't have a big ego and he didn't have a big, you know, uh, you know, guns blazing, rootin' tootin' cowboy attitude, like some of the people that they were considering had. Okay. They chose him because they wanted to avoid a Vic and Dotra situation. But unfortunately, what they got is a situation where they have a leader who's lackluster, okay? It's a hard job. I'm not saying I could do any better. I probably would not do better, okay? Almost certainly would not do better. But they could find someone better, right? I don't have to be the guy that does the job to be able to tell you that they can find someone better. I mean, hopefully logic and common sense like prevail here, right? I'm allowed to say they can do better. And they should, but they haven't. So you can contrast Google with a founder-led company like, you know, Apple was under jobs or, you know, Amazon under Bezos or whatever, right? And, you know, Andy Jassy, you know, who's taken over and as just as much of an asshole as Bezos about like unions and stuff, unfortunately. So he was definitely groomed by Bezos, like groomed in the worst way. But he's still very, 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 very good. Okay. I mean, he's like really, really, really scarily competent. Okay. He, he's, he's good for the position and he is acting like a founder. Okay. He's, he's, he's actually come in and he's, he's being a pretty good backup Bezos. And in some ways, right, Andy Jassy is a lot more competent and polished and slick than Bezos was. Bezos is more of the idea guy. Jassy is an, an executor, uh, okay, an executor, I guess. He, he's getting the job done. He's, the important thing is that he's acting like a founder, okay? And so this has been kind of a theme. I've been very intrigued by companies that, have, that still have their original founder. All of the companies, that almost all of the companies that I've talked to except for one, still have their original founder in charge, and I actually, I lean towards those companies and I'm biased towards those companies because otherwise you get, you're rolling the dice. You bring in a new CEO, you bring in a new CEO, you bring a new president of cloud, you bring in a new GM, whatever. And all these people come in and they try to like, you know, make heads or tails of things and they, and they often make a mess of it. You really need a special kind of a person Somebody who is really slick, somebody with really good people skills, somebody with unshakable confidence and a great technical background, great leadership, uh, poise, common sense, calmness, able to motivate people, able to make the hard decisions and make the judgment calls. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about Satya Nadella. He's the CEO of Microsoft. And so Microsoft, of course, they went through Bomber. I've talked about how bad that was, but I mean, like uh, Satya's great. So... (laughs) Right. I mean, like if you if you just want proof that Google can do better, just point over the water to Redmond and say, yeah, right. Yeah, of course, Google can do better. Google could have somebody like Satya at the helm. But they don't. And so Google's leadership leadership is weak, like the U.N. And all of the engineers know about it. And they mail me. They say, Steve, I'm kind of unhappy because blah, 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 blah. Right. And so Google has brain drain. Google has brain drain. People are leaving. And when you have brain drain, all of your good people leave. Right. Right. So, Google is in a a, a, a a bit of a bind right now. I mean, they're doing phenomenally well in terms of you know revenue and so on, right? But it's just people in the end. They're just people at the top, and they only have as much experience as you do. And many times, they're completely unqualified for the, the job that they're in. But more often, they're just kind of barely qualified, and they kind of get the job done. And they're they're not bad enough to fire, but they're kind of in the middle of the bell curve or just slightly to the left of center. And like, like, right. They're just, they're just not very strong leaders and they can't do things like resolve conflicts inside of the company. And so the company stalls, this company stalls and things don't launch. This is why I'm, I'm leaning heavily towards founder led companies. All right. And there are some in domains that you probably never would have thought of that are becoming tech companies. They're becoming companies that are sort of like Amazon or Google in a way, you know, at a smaller scale, but by hiring Amazon and Google and, and Microsoft and Facebook, you know, employees to help lead them into this sort of, you know, this new age of any company can have a really good tech stack, right? And that's kind of exciting to me. So, so even though the, the big companies that I'm talking to, I didn't reach out to any of them. They reached out to me. And the small companies I'm getting introduced by a set of uh, a couple of uh, different venture capital firms who've taken a liking to me. So I don't know where it's going to go, but it's definitely not, not going to be Google. You know, Google is still probably a great place to work, but it, it needs a regime change fundamentally, I mean, Google needs, they need a revolution. I mean, how do you, how do you fix gerrymandering? Right. You do what Steve Ballmer did on his way out and you blow the company up. You have to get rid of a bunch of people and you have to do a huge reorg, put on your Rick Dalzell hat and be like, time for a reorg, time for a reorg. Let's do a reorg. Like seriously. I mean, remember I told you Dalzell did reorgs just to make sure that things didn't get stinky. Well, when your product team says, no, you can't launch Kubernetes, I'd say things are pretty stinky, okay? So, yeah, Google's kind of stinky right now. That's the problem, right? They were like a huge circus that came to town, and they were really bright and exciting and shiny. And now the circus has been around for 25 years, and the clown's sitting back behind the tent smoking a cigarette and kind of stinks of urine. And the whole place is like, seriously, you go down to Google's headquarters, right, and it's just kind of shabby and run down. The remote sites – I'm talking about the Mountain View one, right? The remote sites are actually in better shape than, than Mountain View headquarters. Google's just kind of like well-trodden, kind of trammeled right now. It's like a dirt road full of ruts and footprints. And they just need to like go in and like build a new road there, you know? And that means getting rid of the most toxic people there, okay? Or the weakest people there, the people who are holding on without making forward progress. And that is a really hard thing to do at Google's size and scale. And what does it take? It takes stronger leadership, even higher up. And it's not happening. And, it, and it, it's going to take some existential crisis, right, for for it to finally happen with Google. And I don't know when that's going to be. So fun fact, this rant was May of 2022. And the um, crisis moment that Steve was looking forward to reform Google probably happened in November with ChatGPT. And I recently wrote an article about the battle between google and bing or microsoft and ChatGPT, and you get a little bit of appreciation if what steve is saying is true that um you know sundar calling a code red on google maybe to respond to external threats but perhaps to also get permission to clear out internal threats to the company